0: Welcome to the latest TS Scotland podcast. This is our second podcast, but our first with a guest, as you're about to find out. We um, are today here at Edinburgh University with Professor Raouine Arshad, who until very recently was the head of the School of Education at uh, Murray House, University of Edinburgh. Uh, Rowena started her professional life in the private sector in business and banking and then had a major career change, uh, came to Edinburgh in 1985 and started with the Scottish Education and Action for Development as an education campaigns organiser, uh, working with community groups and organisations that linked Scotland with the developing world. A few years later, she became director of the Multicultural Education Centre in Edinburgh and from there moved to Murray House. Fast forward in quite a few years, she became uh, head of the School of Education in 2013 uh, and as, we, as I said there, just to step down in the last few days really. Um, she is also co-director of the Centre for Education for Racial Equality in Scotland and in 2001 was an awarded an OBE for services to race equality in Scotland, not to mention an honorary doctorate from Edinburgh Napier University in 2010 for services to gender equality. Um, she's performed various other roles over the years and uh, very recently was part of a short-term working group on diversity and teaching in Scotland. And the first thing we wanted to ask Rowena about was a a memorable quote from uh, when she wrote a piece for us last year. Uh, Ruyuna, the quote was, I think it was from a student that you'd interviewed uh, and it was, if I don't see myself there, I can't imagine myself there. Can you tell us what that quote, where that came from and what, and how maybe uh, sums up some of the work that you've Mm -hmm. been doing over these past years?
1: That quote came from a young uh, minority ethnic Mm -hmm. Uh, young woman who, in fact, we were trying to get her to think about teaching as a career. And this was what she said, that if she didn't see people who looked like her as part of the teaching profession, she was more likely or less likely to, to be thinking about herself as a teacher in the future, obviously seeing herself as a pupil. Now you translate that across to the university, that applies as well, that if we don't see the kind of representative staff, then what people will see is, Places like Edinburgh is a place to study, but not necessarily a place to work.
2: Yeah, so you get your education there, but you don't go in and start to deliver Mm -hmm. that education. It's quite a tricky issue, isn't it? Because I suppose, how
1: how is it that you change that? Because somebody has to be the pioneer, don't they? Yes, and I think the pioneer also has to be prepared to accept that they are, therefore, not just there for the job, or for the role, but they actually perform other roles too, and that role would be to mentor, to be a role model, to lead, to support, and actually the emotional and tax of that additional responsibility, I think can put some people off, but I do think that in the main people who are pioneers, or who are the first of whatever, you know, is the first going to a an university, um, and then you then take responsibility for other people so you've Mm. climbed the ladder you don't pull it up Mm. you keep that ladder down
0: and help other people and you were a a pioneer of sorts yourself of course in 2013 when you became head of school uh, at murray house you were the first person from a black and ethnic minority background Mm. to become head of school uh, of any school in, in Scotland. Um, so I wondered if we could maybe just rewind rewind a few decades and, uh, <laughs> and, and let's, decades. Tr- let's trace back, uh, trace, <laughs> trace some of the path up to that point. I wondered, uh, would you tell us a little bit about your own school days and how they were for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I am from mixed heritage. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to mm-hmm. say. So my mother was Chinese Christian mm-hmm. and my father was Indian Muslim. So it's a very strange combination which kind of leaves you in a halfway situation being in no person's land, Mm -hmm. really. Um, (laughs) And uh, so my education was in Malaysia, in Penang, Mm -hmm. and that was where I spent my primary and secondary education. Mm -hmm. And I came to UK to do my sixth year, Mm -hmm. and subsequently college and university Mm -hmm. thereafter.
0: What was the school system like when you were in Malaysia?
1: Well, it's very interesting, Mm -hmm. because when I met, before I go into the school Mm -hmm. system, my Husband is from Bridge of Allen. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, <laughs> why, am so I to, why am I telling you <laughs> that? Because when we first met, um, there's a song called On the Banks of Allen Water. Yeah. And of course, that refers to Bridge of Allen in mm-hmm. that area. He didn't know it, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what that taught me was how much um, education we got, which was about the world and mm-hmm. much more global. But his education was actually focused far, much more about his vicinity of Scotland right. and the UK um, and other areas. We both learned about the Lawrence Canal in you know the Great Lakes mm. So there were things of overlap, but school days started very early mm. because it got hot very quickly. So it was generally a half past 7, 20 to 8 start. We finished by about lunchtime and then you had extracurricular thereafter um, But because my mum was a single my parents had separated by then mm. so I grew up in a single mm. parent home and my mother was a teacher And she had to earn extra money, so um, she would have her tuition classes that she gave tuition Mm -hmm. after she taught at school in the evenings and things. So my school day seems to be very long Mm -hmm. because I would be at school and I'd do extracurricular and then I would go home, have my evening meal, then my mother would start class again. Mm -hmm. And I used that, or my mother made sure I used Mm -hmm. that as an opportunity to get my homework done. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a very long day. And
0: did did you enjoy school?
1: Yes, because I had a really good group of friends. I was also incredibly naughty at school. Okay. So I was never one that taught the line from the outset.
0: Everyone who says they're naughty at school has one story that always rises to the surface. Is there one story that really sums up that naughtiness (laughs) when you were a pupil?
1: I think it would be politically correct to mention that particular example. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, yes, I... Would well actually it's it's so naughty, I'm not sure that I am allowed to say this.
0: Okay. Um okay. but <laughs> can you talk around it a bit maybe. <laughs>
1: um yes, we I used to try and sit at the back of the class because uh-huh. the doors were open because it's an open classroom Malaysia is very warm, so there were no closed doors, and I would try and sit at the back in order to be able to slide out of oh, to go to the canteen. (laughs) (laughs) And because there were about 45, 50 pupils, it wasn't difficult to do that. I got caught though, uh, because I was caught in the cafeteria eating, and um, was hauled back in and subsequently put at the front of the class, which I resented. So I spent my time taking sharpenings of pencils Uh into a pile, so that when the teacher turned around Wrote on the blackboard, I could blow the sharpenings onto his or her skirt, and it stuck there. <laughs> but then, <laughs> it's, uh, that's probably uh-huh. enough.
0: That it's, sums up. Yep. Was
1: there so. any physical punishment? You know, is bit, you no, know? no, 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 no. There, I, I can't recall that at all. No. No. no, no.
0: But so if the lesson just got a bit boring, you were just you were position yourself at the back of the class, slide slide out and go Absolutely, Or or ask
1: awkward questions (laughs) of your male teachers in Mm. particular, such as, um, can you tell us a bit more about sex, sir?
0: (laughs) And what was the response to that? (laughs) I can't
1: remember. (laughs) Uh, Or other things of that kind. And in some ways, I guess... um, I look back and think, you know, was I the class clown mm. in that respect? But I got in touch with some of, or rather Facebook mm. is great because it mm. puts you in touch with your school um, friends from years mm. back. And one of them put in the post that, you know, school would have been utterly boring if not for me. So I thought, well, <laughs> that, that's, that's
0: positive. <laughs> and then, so you came for the, 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 the very final part of your school days, you came to the UK. Did you whereabouts in the UK were you?
1: I went to Letchworth um, to start with mm. and then to Northampton, um, yeah,
0: and did did you find a big contrast between what oh, you yeah. left behind in Malaysia? What were the big differences?
1: Absolutely, well, the the, the temperature first, of course. <laughs> and I remembered my cussing my mum actually mm. for sending me to the UK because so we arrived in August. Well I came on my mm. own. Actually, I arrived in August. That's when it's warm. It's not. <laughs> it's amazing. In London, and I'm like, oh, why would she send me to a place like this? And it was so cold. But actually, the contrast was that. Um, the school days were different times. Mm. Uh, the food was different, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed meeting a whole range of new people. Mm-hmm. And some of those people, but also being able to do things like go to London and I actually saw the tail end of Rudolfo Norea uh, oh, wow. when he was dancing. And
0: that's a school trip, or it was a school trip.
1: trip. <laughs> and I remember waiting at the end to try and get an autograph because people did things like uh-huh. that at that time. They had autograph books and things, not selfies as they do now. Um, I mean, of course, we never got it. Uh-huh. but these are the iconic moments that I remembered uh-huh. you know that was something I wanted to do because I didn't know about his career yeah. in Malaysia uh, and being able to have those opportunities is great. yeah was that
2: something that your mother really had to you know sort of you said that she was already doing extra work you know in the evenings to sort of mm. uh, presumably to kind of give you a nice lifestyle together. Yeah. I mean, so was that a really big deal then for you to get to you know
1: sort of meet? Yes it was because it was very expensive um, and she had to pay for it as a single mum with no benefits and things she worked. uh, I actually think, I'm not quite sure how she got the money together but she must have got a loan or something. The reason she did that was because she believed in British education and British justice. She was a product of the colonial times of Malaysia.
0: So she wanted you to go to university in the UK. She wanted me to come Mm. here to do my studies
1: Mm. But also, she wanted me to have a free reign to be the person I wanted Mm. to be. Because Malaysia, I remember, I told you that my Mm. mother was Chinese Christian, Mm. my father was Indian Muslim. Malaysia, of course, is a Muslim Mm. country. Mm. And she didn't want the country or family ties to be what dictated my faith Mm. or how I believed or how Mm. I operated. And she actually thought coming to Britain would give me that ability to choose. And I think she was right. Mm.
2: That's really interesting.
1: Um, You were saying that
2: um, anybody who is a pioneer, that you have baggage and responsibility. Mm. Did you feel that yourself then, when in 2013 you sort of became the head of the School of Education? Mm. And, you know, can you tell us maybe a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think that what was interesting within the first few weeks of me starting was Um, the fact that some of our students in the school who were from black minority Mm -hmm. ethnic backgrounds uh, decided to come and see me to tell me about their own local experiences of um, feeling prejudice or racism um, or just feeling othered. Mm -hmm. And I did wonder why they didn't feel able to do so previously. Mm -hmm. And I think that is it because that, 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 that representation is so important. And a few of the things that they told me about how they felt excluded, or um, people making assumptions about them, I found that that really started a pattern of um, taking responsibility. And actually, it was one of your ex-colleagues, Elizabeth Mm Buick, in fact, who who did an interview with me at the beginning of my career here as head of school. And I was apologetic to her and said, you know, had I been talking too much about equalities and race, and her response to me is, why would you not? That's mm. what people know you for. Mm. And she also said, you may not have another opportunity mm-hmm. in that position to do it. And I never forgot that mm-hmm. because I realized that actually there will be a time when I won't have the opportunity. Yeah. So, I will use it. Mm-hmm.
0: So, you've made that. And up. I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> Thank you, (laughs) Tes. Absolutely. And so you've had this quite circuitous uh, route through to the the position you took on in 2013, I guess. Um, You had a time in business and banking. um, You've had various other roles. What do you think are maybe the, and some people who reach these positions, they've maybe had a more linear path through Mm -hmm. being a class teacher, working Mm -hmm. their way up and so on. What do you think are the maybe the pros and cons of that background, that you've that route that you've taken to, to yeah. the post?
1: So the very first thing is I don't have a first degree. Mm-hmm. And that probably is not typical for University of Edinburgh. People mm-hmm. come here with a first degree, they move on to being a master's mm-hmm. and then get on to their doctorate if they choose to stay on in the academy. I don't have a first degree. I have an HND mm-hmm. um, in, in business administration, but not a first degree. What that means is that I actually always say to my students, there is always another way, Mm. and I never give up on them, because you can change the pathways. And I also see when people come for applications here, not really that linear type Mm. route, but to look beyond that. Mm. So somebody coming who may not have spent six weeks Mm. in a school learning Mm. what it's like to be in a school, but has done VSO Mm. in Papua New Guinea, uh, has come from a farming background, which would have been where their traditional roots would have been, but chosen not to go into farming, but mm-hmm. to go outside and see the world and come back, and now mm-hmm. they want to be a teacher, mm-hmm. why would you not take mm-hmm. something like that? But many of my colleagues would probably argue that, well, they haven't spent their six mm-hmm. weeks in school, they don't know enough about curriculum mm-hmm. for excellence, well, is that not our job
0: mm-hmm. to be teaching mm-hmm. them that? Yeah,
1: because these are these very strict rules, aren't there, when you're applying for mm-hmm.
2: teacher education courses about having to have and it's specifically in school. I think that sometimes even if you've, you know, led a, um, you know, a scout troop for <laughs> years, that actually somehow that doesn't, yeah. somehow that sometimes, I mean, I guess it's not the same for everywhere, but that, that doesn't actually, that doesn't count. And another interesting one that I think I remember was about, um, you know, so somebody who has managed to write, a, um, you know, PhD, you know, to, has done their doctorate, but doesn't have higher English. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember, you know, of hearing you speaking about that as well, and about, well, could we maybe just make sure that they've got their higher English on point of exit? And you've kind of essentially Mm. won that battle,
1: Mm. haven't you? Well, with um, one of our master's programmes, we absolutely have won that battle, because with over two years, you can actually take the higher English. I think for PhDE programmes, that's harder one, Mm. because it's only 10 months. But I think what also tells me is that if somebody can write in English, has a doctorate, or has print, has published in an international journal doesn't have English higher, you have to use a degree of common mm. sense and look across the way and say, Well, they obviously can have demonstrated merit in mm. being able to write, etc. And I think this sort of hard and fast, we have to follow mm. a tramline way of thinking is frankly detrimental.
0: And like you say, you're you emblematic of that yeah. in your own career. Absolutely. But have you ever encountered anyone who's suggested, maybe even hinted at that, just oh, well, you haven't been a school teacher, so oh, yes. see if you had that. Much yes. stuff, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. How has that manifested itself?
1: Well, when or, I first started yeah. in Murray House, um, I was they they were employing me to be a lecturer in multicultural mm-hmm. education. I don't think even the word anti-racist was there mm-hmm. at that point. But they said, "Well, you're going to be in ITE, you're going to be mm-hmm. in a teacher preparation mm-hmm. kind of situation, and you're not a, a qualified teacher, and we don't know. We have to apply to the GTCS mm-hmm. for dispensation, mm-hmm. which I was given." And I was reminded of that very recently at a retiral do mm. of uh, one of your colleagues, in mm. fact, that uh, w- wasn't your colleague that reminded me, it was the then registrar mm. who was at the do, said to me, oh, yes, I gave you dispensation. I thought, right, I better go and bend bended knees. <laughs> so because my career clearly changed as a result of that. But um, what was also interesting was I think there was a, you know, people who seem not to have a teaching qualification mm. possibly cannot educate. And I am mm-hmm. not sure that that's correct mm-hmm. because I was involved in community education. And it, my colleagues now talk about things like flipped classrooms mm-hmm. as though it's the latest, you know, best thing since sliced mm-hmm. bread or group work itself. These are kind of things we were doing 30 years mm-hmm. ago in a different discipline mm-hmm. and subject area. So I think um, being able to teach... I'm not in any way undermining the craft Mm -hmm. of teaching, especially early years Mm -hmm. and these kinds of areas. I think you have to have training to do Mm -hmm. that. But to assume somebody that does not have a teacher Mm -hmm. education background cannot work in teacher education Mm -hmm. programmes, I think, is uh, thinking of the Mm -hmm. past.
0: And talking of sort of rigid routes through systems and and, uh, maybe being overly adherent to very strict pathways. We know that the the number of black and ethnic minority teachers in Mm. Scotland does not match the demographics of Scotland more generally. So what's going wrong there? What's not happening that we aren't encouraging more people um, from BME background into teaching?
1: I think first of all you've got to look at the ones who are already in the Mm. system Mm -hmm. and actually find out how they're feeling and whether they feel that they are being Mm recognised or Mm -hmm. being talent spotted being promoted? And the answer to that, like, largely is no. Mm-hmm. And we're back to that saying of, if I don't see myself there mm-hmm. in a headship position or a leadership position, then maybe I can't aspire to that position. So I think we've got to look at keeping and retaining mm-hmm. the ones that are in the system mm-hmm. at the moment. Because every time you lose one, by word of mouth, it goes out and other people hear and they think, well, she didn't or he didn't quite make it, I don't think I'll bother. The other, I think, is the fact that, um, My world of work, which is the careers, kind of the the area where young people are being asked to go to, I think that needs to spell out a lot Mm -hmm. more and show more diversity Mm -hmm. of teaching. Uh, I, and so I would hope that what our committee, the committee I'm on is doing, will actually start making changes of that kind because young children from primary go to that website and they look for work and they look for what potential careers they might follow. What did you notice was missing, you know, sort of in terms of um, teaching? Diversity yeah. is missing. And I think also contemporising that section is probably what's needed. Um What's interesting also, when I look at employers now, local authorities, when they come and talk to our Mm -hmm. prospective STEM applicants Mm -hmm. or whatever, they now say, you know, yes, if you want to take time Mm -hmm. out from teaching to go and climb climb K2 or do something completely Mm -hmm. different for a year or two, most employers are now Mm -hmm. saying, we actually do offer that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's because they're trying to make the career an interesting, flexible, Mm. but also exciting one. Mm. But some young people are thinking, well, I don't want to come in and spend the next 40 years without any potential prospect Mm. or some time out. So all those things, I think, need to be reflected in the
0: website. And as you say, word gets around when people have bad experiences. Uh, we know that the the numbers coming through aren't high enough to reflect the demographics of Scottish society but also the people who are working in the school system from some of the work that you've done we know that uh, sometimes their experience of working in Mm -hmm. Scottish education in schools is not always the most positive that there's sometimes even quite overt Mm -hmm. racism that they've encountered sometimes more subtle insidious and maybe not always intended but uh, can you tell us about some of the experiences that you've picked up on from talking to teachers um, and their experience, hearing about their experiences?
1: I think for me the racial awareness Mm -hmm. and literacy Mm -hmm. of um, the generic Scottish Mm -hmm. population is probably pretty low, Mm -hmm. particularly if you're out with um, the city areas like Glasgow. Mm -hmm. I think unless you have somebody in your friendship group or your family group that you can bounce ideas Mm -hmm. of, then these Mm -hmm. are theoretical concepts Mm -hmm. about diversity Mm -hmm. and so people don't quite know how to engage. Um, So that actually automatically, Mm -hmm. in a way, stops people potentially seeing somebody Mm -hmm. as leadership Mm -hmm. material. Um, That would be one. The other is, as you say, overt um, them and us kind of Mm -hmm. attitudes, um, people feeling able to make jokes about somebody's culture, Mm -hmm. Uh, I have heard of in a staff room where they were organizing a party where a member of staff came to a black member of staff and said, is it okay if I black up? And mm-hmm. you've got to ask yourself, really, mm-hmm. you know, are you being deliberately obtuse mm-hmm. or is it an innocent question born of such ignorance mm-hmm. that is actually quite mm-hmm. mind-blowing? Mm-hmm. I was doing a lecture um, last week with undergraduates and there are about 140 mm-hmm. of them. And about two weeks ago, and I asked them the question, you know, how many. So we were talking about a range of issues, like concepts, like positionality, who you are, Mm -hmm. is really important. And then I said, How many of you have heard the phrase decolonizing the curriculum? Mm -hmm. Not a single hand went up. And I said, Right, I'm going to assume you're all very shy, Mm -hmm. so uh, don't worry about it. I I don't want a definition. I just want to ask if you've heard of the phrase. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need to know anything Mm -hmm. about it, but have you heard of it? And not a single hand went up. The week after that, I did a session with PGD Secondary, and I have to say gratifyingly, quite a few hands did go up. But it did worry me about that first cohort, and my parting shot to them was, you better go find out about Mm -hmm. it, because the rest of the world's talking about it. If you're going to be teachers, you need to engage with these Mm -hmm. sorts of things. And that, I think, for me sums up a little bit Mm. about that lack of awareness. Mm. On the other hand, you've got a whole range of other colleagues who are chomping at the bit to actually engage with these issues, Mm. really want to, but um, yes, and they are pushing ahead with it, but I think the majority are still worried about it, maybe self-conscious, also may be frightened to speak about it in case they offend people
0: we'll make well, exact, sorry exactly that point earlier won't we weren't yeah we, well i myself. just thought
1: it might even be useful you know given that this is a podcast
2: that will be listened to by teachers you know you know so you know we were talking there about how do you engage you know and if you don't have a friend in your friendship group who's from a BME background you know how do you know how to you know sort of you know, broach the sub, broach the subject of somebody's heritage. You know, like what, what, you know, what's their background? You know, if they, you know, if somebody wants to ask that kind of question, can they ask it? Because I suppose that there's something in actually having that acknowledged as well. We've got children in classrooms that speak multiple languages mm-hmm. and never ever get asked about it, mm-hmm. which is right, which to that insane, they or to show yeah, that they've got yeah. that expertise. Yeah. You know, because it, and that maybe happens because teachers are you know sort of afraid of saying the wrong thing so they just don't say anything so what advice might there be that you know that could be given about you know sort of how to broach those subjects how
1: how do you do it well (laughs) well I think you have to be confident in the fact that you're an educator your job is to educate your job is to also self educate Mm. so just because you don't Mm. have friends or family or whoever you can call upon uh, you can read. Yeah. You can go and look at literature. That's that's our job yeah. to develop our profession. Ignorance is no excuse. Then. No, yeah. it's not. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that the young people in our schools cannot wait for individual teachers mm-hmm. to get up to speed. Um, so I think people have to. And the other thing is you're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You will at points offend people. You will at points get it wrong. I think it's we're all big enough to say, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I didn't mean that. And if somebody wants to then do a kind of, Go quite, um, you know, over the top about it mm-hmm. in a way. It's their issue. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't get too worried about it. You may be quite hurtful, mm-hmm. but keep going. But read. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. very much about a whole range of other equality mm-hmm. issues, and I've had to read mm-hmm. and and find somebody you can check it out with. It's impossible to think that there isn't anybody mm-hmm. within your mm-hmm. circle or friendship mm-hmm. group or your trade union or whoever mm-hmm. that you absolutely mm-hmm. cannot find mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Go and look at podcasts. <laughs> Go and look, listen to podcasts and look at TEDx and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, similar to that, the so you were involved in this working group uh, last year. Um, and I remember uh, Ken Ewer, who was also on the same group, um, obviously uh, Chief Executive of the General Teaching Council for Scotland, he came out with some comments, I think it was at a conference, which were really quite uh, mm-hmm. uh, direct. Uh, he talked about... Um, Shocking, blatant racism in schools. Fears that you know little progress had been made over the past three decades. Um, you know, he was, he was he was really quite shocked at some of the stuff that he found. Um, were you as shocked, or did it just confirm what you already knew in the process of uh, doing this work?
1: I not so much mm. shocked. I think the fact that it's still occurring mm. is uh, is worrying. But I want to go beyond the obvious, mm-hmm. you know, the name calling or mm-hmm. the blacking up example I gave earlier or the kind of blatant body swerves mm-hmm. or just not talking to somebody. Because mm-hmm. in some ways you can start dealing with mm-hmm. that. I'd like us to be more sophisticated and think about the tool we have. The tool we have is our curriculum. Mm-hmm. That's what we use to educate mm-hmm. our And I think we should be looking at how, I mean, I use the phrase decolonize, I think that's really important. So for example, um, I played a piece of music uh, for the student group and I said, can you give us, uh, who do you think composed this? And some people said Mozart and some people said Haydn and things. And I said, how many people heard of Mozart? Every hand Mm -hmm. went up in the room, but actually it was um, the name of... um, Chevalier Saint-Georges who was actually Marie Antoinette's violinist Mm -hmm. but who was in the time scale of Mozart and composed similar Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. Mozart's style. Maybe he even was influenced by Mozart. Nobody knows about him. Mm -hmm. And um, there was another guy, Chandra Varma, who actually learned about light diffusion Mm -hmm. and how you split light. So your children might ask you things like, why is the sea blue? Mm -hmm. And that splitting of light is, and he was a Nobel Prize physicist winner in 1930, why do we not know mm-hmm. that? We don't know that it was somebody of color who invented how to um, sort of keep blood, mm-hmm. and that's what blood banks are. Mm-hmm. We're all, such. We mm-hmm. some of us will have had blood transfusions, or dependent on bloods. Mm-hmm. Now, without his work mm-hmm. to actually develop how to store blood, we'd all be in a quite difficult position now. Mm-hmm. Why are we not knowing that? That's what decolonizing the curriculum is about. So when you actually start doing that change, actually you're engaging in um, anti-racist work, mm-hmm. you're engaging in multicultural work. You may not call it that, mm-hmm. but that's what you're doing. I would rather be concentrated and looking at things like that, and it doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, we can all be doing that. Mm-hmm.
2: That's really interesting. The the, the other thing I suppose that that piece of research um, that you did to the short life working group raised was about the awareness gap and about the difference between how Mm -hmm. BME teachers were feeling and how the perception of the employers that everything was fine. Do you, do you think that we've just got complacent over time or is it just that actually because the, the people who are higher up in the system are usually
1: not from a BME background so they don't, they don't see it? I suspect you're right Emma, it is the fact that they don't know so they don't see it. Um, But what was shocking was the fact that the gap was so huge Mm -hmm. that, you know, the BME teachers are all largely Mm -hmm. saying, yeah, we think our race or our color or ethnicity or our religion has got something to do. Now, whether they're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. It's a perception that's out there in that grouping. But the perception in the other side, the employer side, which are largely white head teachers and recruiters, is actually we think we're very fair. We don't think we discriminate and we actually think we're doing okay. And both sides clearly have very different perceptions. And both sides may well be correct. But whatever it is, what it threw up was an issue that we have to discuss and critically examine. And actually say, therefore, the teachers who are BME have to be mentored and to be able to keep applying just because you apply once, twice, three times. Lots of people do that and don't get jobs. But the people who are recruiting need to look beyond... um, and to think about whether the expectations of an individual have been coloured, pardon the, the phrase, uh, by lack of experience or previous experience. You know, if all you see of somebody who's a brown skin is your local shopkeeper or your takeaway guy or person, then is that how you see people? But you don't see them as your peer.
2: And do you think that there's, you know, obviously the, the, that, that gap then, this awareness gap that was highlighted Do you feel that we're moving on, you know, now in Mm -hmm. any way, you know, because I guess that that we we have working groups and reports get published and we write about Mm -hmm. them (laughs) and, and, you know, many other, you know, sort of newspapers and things do as well. And then what's your perception now about whether or not we're
1: doing anything that's likely to change that? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that um, what's interesting is I do think that actually interesting with Brexit situation Mm -hmm. and all the kinds of global geopolitics Mm -hmm. that's occurring, whether that's across the pond Mm -hmm. in the US or here, I think people are starting to realize that they have to start standing on the right side of history Mm -hmm. and they're going to be counted in Mm -hmm. that way. And so that's given them actually some momentum or some courage to say, well, I'm going to Mm -hmm. do X or Y. And therefore, I think the pushback of, oh, racism doesn't happen here type narrative mm. is actually reducing people saying, okay, if you think it happens here, come and talk to me about it. I think that's really important. I do also think that with uh, new sort of people like yourself in times, Um, Education Supplement, writing about these issues. I think the government's Mm -hmm. narrative is very positive about welcoming and about diversity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So all the people who are in power are saying it in a particular way. Mm -hmm. I do think that uh, the communities are Mm -hmm. getting more vocal. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be silent anymore. I think young people are making a Mm -hmm. change because they're not afraid. Mm -hmm. They want to be Mm -hmm. global citizens. So maybe all the forces are now Mm -hmm. aligned. But I do actually think that when the world is as polarized mm. as it's becoming, people are realizing mm. that they can't take their foot mm. off the accelerator. They're going to have to do something, and education has to mm. be the way forward.
0: You mentioned Brexit. There, we're, we're in October two thousand nineteen. <laughs> we're a few weeks away from when we're supposed to be leaving <laughs> the EU. What, what's the first when you say the word, You hear the word Brexit. What's the first thing you feel? What does it make you? How, it, how do you? What's your gut reaction to it?
1: Divisions and silos, mm. them and us. Mm-hmm and the narrative of foreigners, we are better, little islander mentality. And I have to remember that there was a wonderful slogan that Scotland came up with when it first got devolution, Mm -hmm. and you may remember it, Mm -hmm. which is, we're a small country, but not a country of small minds. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got to hold on to that. Mm
0: -hmm. Taking, looking at Scottish education more generally, there is a bit of a narrative of failure and decline that's emerged in recent years. You've had you've had a better vantage point than the vast majority of people to assess the, the state of Scottish education. Where would you say we are now? How how fair or unfair is that uh, that narrative that seems to have emerged in recent years?
1: It depends on what measure you're using, isn't it? I think I mean was it you who wrote recently about uh, our Scottish young people are less. Uh, Money? Is it? Oh yeah, that's
2: right. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but you know, but yeah, they they're less likely to they're less likely to bullshit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're less likely to. Uh, and it was an it was definitely an interesting one because we tweeted it, and then some teachers came back and they sort of, and they said. The, the trouble with Scottish young people is they might say that they don't know when they actually, you know, they don't know the answer to a question or they don't know a fact to do with science or, mm-hmm. you know, whichever bit of uh, knowledge somebody's trying to, you know, sort of extract from them. That maybe their gut instinct is to say, I don't know. <laughs> you know, not and to so it's not, no, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, like, maybe, it, you know, so at first you're thinking maybe that's quite a nice, you know, sort of news story because they're not going to blag it mm-hmm. and they're going to be honest and, they know their. They know what they can do and they know what they can't do. But I guess the point that people were making was, well, maybe you know, maybe that is actually feeding into this, you know, sort of lack of confidence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But, um, I I did you like the fact that they I were less likely it. to build? I liked
1: it. <laughs> I, I retreated it. I liked it. But I also think that what Scottish teachers have done is tried very hard to provide an all-rounder education, Mm -hmm. one that is not just um, driven Mm -hmm. by tests and results, Mm -hmm. but one that is driven to actually produce for the world the next generation of Mm civic-minded, caring citizens. And I think we should be proud of Mm -hmm. that. We might not be at the top of the league Mm -hmm. tables on PISA, but we may well be at the top of the league tables of young people who care about mm. each other, who have community. So you use a different mm. set of indicators, you might get a different set of results.
0: Mm. Well, obviously, you've maybe just answered this question, but I was going to ask you, to, you know, what's, what is the best thing about Scottish education?
1: I would hope that it's passion for social justice mm. and fairness and human rights and humanity.
0: Great answer. And uh, maybe a couple of, uh, uh, sorry. Yeah, nine out of ten. <laughs> 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 you passed the test. could <laughs> <We'll> do better. <laughs> Always leave room for improvement. <laughs> um, well, maybe just a lot. Emma, did you have anything you wanted to ask? I've got a couple of last quick questions.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, go for it. Go for go it. For,
0: uh, well, what's, what's your now that you, you've you know you've you've stepped outside it, uh, Scottish education in a sense. You've maybe mm-hmm. you're. You, you, I'm sure you'll still be involved in many ways, but you'll have more of a maybe an observer's view going ahead from from now on. What's your big hope for Scottish education over the next few years?
1: I want, my big hope is that Scottish education doesn't get sucked into bureaucracy, that teachers' voices, teachers' passions, the sort of thing that we see here actually in places like Murray House, teacher preparation areas, that that buoyancy, Mm. that passion it retains itself, and it's what drives education forward. I would hope that they find a way of holding on to that.
0: And our very last question, unless Emma's got anything she wants no, to chip well, in I mean, well, I guess you're yeah. going to ask the fictional teacher. Yeah, well, we're thinking, as I say, we're at a very early stage with these podcasts. This is the first one with a guest. So this may completely belly flop or it might be a bit fun that we, that we have uh, uh, every time we do one of these. We'll just see how it goes. But we both uh, revealed our favourite fictional teachers when we did our first podcast. So mine was, uh, I don't know if it was my favourite, but the most memorable was the Robin Williams character in the Dead Poets Society. exactly. Um, who I decided in the end, looking back, I wasn't sure he was actually in some ways that great a teacher, but he was a memorable teacher, certainly. Uh, Emma's was... Mine was Teacher from the Beano, because he's the <laughs> teacher that I come into
2: contact with the most recently. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I've got an eight-year-old son. But I really do think that Teacher from the Beano is <laughs> responsible for... Really improving his literacy. So uh, well, I'm grateful to teach him. Indeed, indeed. what's
0: well, funny about it, he doesn't even have a name. He's just this anonymous authoritarian sort of force yeah. in the corner. But uh, so, how so about... about yourself? Anyway, what's, what, what oh, you I really?
1: I guess. I don't... I actually thought about John Keating. Actually, oh, that De- okay. De- De- okay. De- De- poet society. But I thought most people would probably say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so original. I'm so, so boring. Original. You're so boring. <laughs> I <didn't know> <laughs> <laughs> but I then thought of two characters. Actually, one is um, Master Sifu, mm-hmm. Kung Fu Panda's yes, um, yes, teacher. Because here is this chaotic, bumbling panda who <laughs> Master Sifu, is very patient and spends time focusing. Panda, and making him believe in himself, because there is no magic in the it's scroll, isn't it? Magic lies in the individual. In, yeah. And I think a good a, a, a kind of inspirational teacher will do that. They bring mm. the best out of that. Mm. People, wherever they are, and whoever they are. So Master Sifu is, is one. Is it Dustin Hoffman? Though, yes, it, it, is, it is, it is so Dustin it's right, Hoffman. Yeah. And the other one, actually, interestingly, was the character played, and that was, uh, I think, in Mona Lisa Smile by julie roberts um, i think the character is called katherine and watson and what she does is she turns up in this liberal arts college of young women who are all schooled really to serve men and to be good wives and all that kind of stuff and she teaches them to look at things from different ways art etc because what they were doing was they were effectively memorizing all the text and then regurgitating the data out And she stopped doing that. She said to them, look at things in a different way. So between Sifu and the chaotic panda and the belief in the individual pupil and Watson in terms of actually challenging her pupils to reframe, rethink and reflect, I think, they would be inspirational
0: teachers. We have the model there for the perfect teacher. Then. <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank you.
0: <laughs> well, that's great, Rowena. Thanks very much. This has been absolutely fascinating talking to you. I'm really thank grateful you. for giving up your time, and, and thanks again. Delightful. It's been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, thank you. That was thank amazing. You.